Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. This was my Desert Island Discs, like, yeah. you know, for years. Like, I have my Desert Island Discs there ready, and I had my five. You had to be there as ready as well. <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Off the Ball Daily. Now then, you're very welcome back. So the uh, Premier League machine is very much kicking into gear once again. Happy to say Jonathan Wilson, football writer, is with us on the line. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, how are you doing? We're at that uh, time of the year where some of the new managers are speaking to the media for the first time, Ange Postacoglu included. I thought, uh, in fairness to him, he's a very charming, assured presence. And uh, I'll just play people a clip to get a sense of, uh, well, early on in, this is not a I'm cotton headlights uh, a bit terrified of the, the Premier League uh, machine kind of an example so here's Postacoglu yesterday You made some exciting signings already and it could be a biggish squad so some undoubtedly will leave too in terms of the short term planning are there certain players like Harry Kane where you have to say he's got to stay he's part of my plans he's imperative So it's question three and it was Harry was it <laughs> we were running a pool with the coaches I think uh I think Milay Yidnak won actually. I had I had over six because I thought you'd care more about me than than Harry. Um. <laughs> They're eating out of his hand already. There by question three, he uh, he had them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he we've seen at Celtic. He's a very he's very good with the media when he wants to be. Um, I think there was some evidence at Celtic. He, he got a bit sort of tired of the whole sort of media churn, which I imagine in the Premier League is is even worse. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's a very charming, very engaging bloke. Um, but it, you know, th- th- the fact that, that question is about Harry Kane, I think, yeah, does highlight what the big issue is, which is what is happening with Harry Kane. And I, I guess there's an argument that you just want Harry Kane there because Tottenham with Harry Kane are more likely to qualify for Champions League than without. I think I'd probably personally slightly lean to the counter-argument, which is that's a pretty slim possibility anyway, and maybe it's better to at least have certainty. So if he's not going to sign a three- or four-year contract now, or you know, an extension that takes him three or four years of the club, um, maybe it's better to, to let him go. Uh, 70 million from Bayern seems like a pretty pretty good price. Um, at least then he, he wouldn't be going to Premier League rival. Mm. And then maybe just take some of the pressure off the start of the season. That you can imagine a, a situation where Postecoglou is you know, trying to, to pretty radically change how they play from, from how they played under Conte and Cialini. Um and that may not take immediately. And if they say after twelve games they've won three or four matches, the the grumbles of discontent will be much worse if Kane is there than if he's not. Then again, Kane being there means that they probably are more likely to have a better start than that. But you know, if, if you're Postecoglou going in there looking to impose your style, uh, I think you'd want a pretty good indication of of whether Kane is going to be part of that for the medium term. Um, because it's, it's not even like Kane is a the sort of player who's easy to replace. You know, he's a he's a quite unusual footballer or quite unusual centre forward in that he drops deep so capably, he's so good at spinning and playing those balls out to, to players playing outside him, and yet scoring 25, 30 goals a season while doing so. that I can't think of anybody else who can do that. So if you work out a way to play with Kane, and he, and he then leaves, you've got to work out another way, yes. or you know, another way of playing when he's gone. 
the the one good thing about Kane is we've we've seen over the past couple of seasons he's not somebody who downs tools if he doesn't get his own way. You know, he he clearly did want to leave two years ago, and he's turned out two great seasons since. So it's it's not that his professionalism is ever in question, which might have been the case for mm. certain Tottenham players in the past, moving the last year of the contract. You've laid out the dynamic perfectly. It's not a straightforward decision for Ange Postacoglu. Very few can guarantee you 25, 30 Premier League goals a season. That's a very tempting thing to have on your side. But as you say, there is that other dynamic of uh, it takes the pressure off a touch. And, and do you want your most important player at the club, I suppose, to be counting down month by month and all the noise and complication that that brings? Um, I don't. I, I, I know you gave your preference. I really don't know. What, what way do you think Postacoglu is uh, leaning in so much as it's even possible to guess? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess the, the positive thing for him is you, you can see a positive in either, you know, either way that Kane stays, assuming he stays fit, he'll score at least 15 goals minimum, probably 20, maybe 25 or 30. And that obviously makes you a better side, mm. more likely to finish out at the table. If he goes, you've got Richarlison there. Richarlison is a younger man. He's probably better at pressing. Well, he is better at pressing than Kane. Richarlison's one of one of the best pressers there is in in, in the modern game. And if you want to impose you know, a hard pressing style, Richarlison's a good man to have there doing that. Um, I, I guess there's a danger if Kane plays that Richarlison gets shunted that wide, which I don't think necessarily he he wants to do. And then he may start to think he wants to leave. At least if Kane goes, you get a proper crack at Richarlison and see whether he can be part of your future. So, uh, yeah, you, you can you can say the uncertainty is, is problematic, and I think it, it is. On the other hand, it's one of those things where either solution isn't too bad, yeah. unless Kane leaves on the 31st of August and you don't have another centre-forward. But even then, you do have the Charleston. I think Alan Shearer quipped that he'd drive him to the airport himself. So uh, Kane would be giving up the chance to forever be at the top of that chart, or certainly for a fair number of years, that Premier League all-time goal scorer chart if he were to go to Munich. Munich have made two offers initially a 60 million sterling offer. They've upped that to 70 and the reporting is that there's a third incoming and that Kane has it seems agreed terms with them. From Kane's perspective how do you think he sees the Bayern move? Well I, I, I guess there's he can look at this in two ways he can you know at this stage of his career he can say I believe in Postacoglu, I believe in this squad, I believe in Daniel Levy, I believe in this stadium, and I want the glory of leading Tottenham to some meaningful silverware, which, to be honest, probably doesn't mean the League Cup or the FA Cup welcome as they would be. Now, he obviously came close with the Champions League, came close with the League when they finished second behind behind Leicester. Are they realistically going to challenge for the League this season? No. They're not in the Champions League, so clearly that's not going to happen. Um, so does he? Does he think two or three years down the line there is a chance of that? And you know, how set is he on being the the all time Premier League goal scorer? Um, maybe, maybe that is something that really bothers him, or maybe he thinks, "Look at what's going on at Tottenham. This is a mess. Season after season, it's a mess. I've I've done my time. I've done everything I can. I've been here for fifteen years, whatever it is, eighteen years." I go to Bayern, at least I'm not betraying them by going to another Premier League club, although he was clearly happy enough to do that with Manchester City. Yeah. You know, he talked about how excited he was about playing, possibly playing with Kevin De Bruyne. 
but yeah, he goes to Bayern. He almost certainly wins the Bundesliga. He gets in the Champions League again. He he he. They they, they may well get a get a good run at the Champions League. Um, yeah, they they certainly. Yeah, Bayern should be looking quarterfinals and beyond. Um, and it's uh, it's something different. It's a chance near the end of his career to to experience a different league, a different culture, um, and, and that that may be attractive. I, I think it's understandable in any job, but where you've you're sort of three quarters of the way through your career, you, you might think, do I want more of the same, or, or is it time to sort of say, actually, yeah. I don't really care about that record and doing the same thing over and over again. I want to go and try something different. If it brings silver with it, all well and good. And he's you know he's he's got England as well. He's already the leading all-time scorer, and I can't see anything mm. but him extending that record to a level where it's not going to be passed for two, three, four decades if it's ever passed. Yeah, it is interesting. I ask this as somebody who doesn't personally have a Bundesliga title, Jonathan. I don't know if you have one. Is it worth? That much does it transform Harry Kane's <laughs> career? Is he like Teddy Sheridan him saying, "Well, guess what? I did win it all, everybody. I have two Bundesligas." I, I, I don't know. I think actually being the all-time Premier League goal scorer is a greater feat than winning a Bundesliga with Bayern. Yeah, I mean you're, you're right. Um, in terms of the Bundesliga, I guess the Champions League is the thing. If he could win the Champions League, that sure. that would be worth it. And he's obviously more likely to do that with Bayern because they're in the competition. Yeah. Um, and and there's no no remote possibility of them not being in the competition for the foreseeable future. And I, I you know, winning things is nice, I guess. Mm. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I've never won. I'm not only have I never won the Bundesliga, I've never even won the Austrian Bundesliga. You know, I, <laughs> I, I have no idea what winning stuff is like. Um, I did win. I did win the uh, Oxford University second teams league fifth division title in 1998. And to be honest, that's that's still probably the highlight of my life. So you know, um, winning mm. stuff is good. Mm. But if you had been all-time top scorer in the Oxford division, you know. <laughs> I mean, from right back, that would have been some feat. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I guess um, that that point you you make about at least if he leaves the Premier League, he's forever a legend every time he goes back to the stadium in a very uncomplicated way. I, I mean, I, I do think he's sincere in the feelings he has towards the club. So maybe that's an appealing part of the deal as opposed to going to City or going to a rival and then you know, potentially being in that strange spot. Not quite Sol Campbell-esque, of course, but that strange spot when you do go back to a ground and you score routinely against them for the last third of your career. Yeah, um, that must make things very awkward. And I, I think, particularly when you've been there, even as a youth player, you know, I know that, that yeah, he wasn't a Tottenham fan as a boy, but yeah, you understand there's a sort of... he. I guess some players, people like Van Persie, I guess, were quite happy to to to, to go elsewhere and, and 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 win your title and do your old club down. But yeah, I, I, yeah, Van Persie, it's a different situation. He's coming from from the Netherlands. Uh, I was just sort of thinking, say, say Alan Shearer's career had been in reverse. Say he'd started at Newcastle, you know, he's the club he's always supported. Yeah, and then he 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 taken the big money to go to Blackburn and won the league. That would have felt a, a slightly cheaper achievement than it it was by going from Southampton to Blackburn. Mm. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a politer way of doing it. Maybe is, yeah. is the right thing to say. Um, but yeah, he'll he'll be a Premier. He's got two hundred Premier League goals. He's a Premier League legend. Whatever happens from now on. Mm. Well, he's due back in training tomorrow. What is your understanding of Angeball? What is Angeball? There's a lot more attacking than, than Conte ball. 
Although Conte ball was attacking until he got to Tottenham. You know, he was, <laughs> you think it was Italy side, they pressed really hard. I, I was kind of really, and even his Chelsea side pressed really hard. Yeah, so, I, think, I think they scored a record number uh, of goals that year, Chelsea. Uh, so quite what happened to Tottenham to make him make him revert to sort of Italian stereotypes, I'm not sure. Maybe there is just something in the fabric of the club that, that depresses people and makes them makes them much more cautious. But I mean, it, you know, Tottenham's history is of playing neat attacking football. Um, Postecoglou's football, I think, is the criticism has been it's almost too attacking. But from a from a Spurs point of view, I guess their, their fans will be after the last two or three years they've had will be, will be quite happy to see that. Um, you know, my, my worry about about Postecoglou, I, I think that whatever I've seen of his sides, with the exception of Australia at the World Cup in 2014, uh, I've always been really impressed. So the little snatches I saw of his. In Japan, what I saw from him at Celtic, it's it's good attacking football. You always have that slight doubt: can it work at this level? And I guess that's true of any manager coming from outside the sort of Premier League world, whether you're coming from your know, League One or League Two, or whether you're coming from a different country in Europe or a different country beyond Europe. Your know, football works there. Will it will it carry on working the higher you get up the up the mountain? And you know, I remember I remember talking to Graham Taylor. Um, and him talking about his Watford side and saying, you know, they, they got promoted once. And he was like, oh, well, we're going to get found out here. Oh, no, we've got promoted again. Wow, well, we'll get found out in the second division. Oh, we got promoted again. And then, oh, surely in the first, we'll get, hmm. hang on, we finished second. Hmm. And he, Graham Taylor said the first team that worked them out were, were Sparta Prague in the UEFA Cup the following season. Sparta Prague was the first team they faced who, who actually had ball-playing defenders who said, okay, come and press us madly and we'll just knock the ball around you and suddenly the space for us to hit. And no English club could cope with that. Um, I think the Premier League's a bit savvier than that now. Um is moving into a league where where teams are very used to pressing. Um, but it, you know, it's not just about about the pressing. He's, he's proved himself a very good man man manager, a good very good motivator. Uh, again, does that work with this level of player? I, th- I, th- I think you know what will work. Um, in, in a League Two side, or it, it's in Japan, or working in Scotland, doesn't necessarily work with the very, very, very highest tier of players mm. who maybe have different expectations. But we don't know until he tries it. So it's going to be fascinating to see. I think, particularly after the the sort of appointing two, I don't, I'm sort of missing Nuno out here, but appointing two sort of proven winners in Mourinho and Conte, and that. You know, failing so so miserably, going for somebody on the way up in the way that Pochettino was on the way up, albeit that Pochettino is a much older man. Um, I think that probably is the thing that Tottenham had to do. And I mm. think Pochettino's past record has shown he is very adaptable to, to be successful in Australia, in Japan, and Scotland. They're three very different leagues that play very different football. So, um, it, it, nothing's a guarantee. But I, I, if I was Spurs fan, I'd be I'd be pretty excited by that appointment. Um, Obviously, dependent on exactly what happens with with the squad between now and the start of the season. Yes. To another new face, but a familiar one, Pochettino back this week at Chelsea. Uh, I'll come to on the pitch in just a second, but in terms of the club he's arriving into, I think we're all obviously still getting a feel for the new ownership at Chelsea and there was this story this week when they launched the jerseys that there's no sponsor uh, for the jersey which is pretty unusual for a club of that 
stature. I know the, the Paramount Plus deal was blocked. There were concerns about um, from the, on the Premier League's part about upsetting broadcast rights holders. So is it just an unfortunate series of events and you give them the benefit of the doubt or is this maybe um, in some small way underlining an inefficiency or a, or a lack of experience at this uh, football club and their new owners? I mean, I, I think, you know, it might be the former. It might just be bad luck. It, and it's one of those things that could have happened to anybody. I mean, you know, Forrest didn't have a sponsor at the start of last season. Um, these things can happen. The problem is it, it's part of the pattern of this very bullish owner who speaks about, how, oh, yeah, the Premier League can can learn from, from the US. Well, how about you just learn how to sign players? And how about you just learn how to actually put a name on the shirt and get some money for it? You know, these are pretty basic things other other people have managed. Mm. So it, 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 it does smack of again if Chelsea not quite knowing what they're doing um, and I, I, it's a it's a minor thing it doesn't matter they'll find a sponsor and they'll get money and it, whether it's whether it's exactly as much as they could have got or whether it's a little bit lower it, it doesn't really matter but it is I think symptomatic of, of that sense of of directors and owners your senior management who, who aren't quite up to speed with how football works I think far more damaging is it's not just a wave of new signings and um, uh, the sense that you know, they're signing very, very good, very, very promising players. I don't think they're signing bad players, but they're signing without a plan. And that means there's a danger that talent is lost, which is very sad just for them, but also for, for football generally. But also, you know, one of the things that Bramwich had done in the last sort of decade of his ownership was to invest heavily in the academy. And that's obviously a long-term project. It takes time for players to come through the academy. But we just started to see those players coming through. We started to see the fruits of that with with Mason Mount and Callum Hudson-Odoi and Tamori and um, Rhys James and uh, Tammy Abraham. And they've all left apart from Rhys James. Uh, yeah, Mason Mount going is sort of yet another one of that that generation that they they made for themselves uh, who were supposed to sort of... Um, carry this sort of Chelsea DNA into the Premier League well that's all gone because you know, it happens the, the way FFP works you know you, you get more profit you know, you know more benefit in FFP terms from selling a play you produce yourself and, than somebody you've signed um, which is understandable mm. but uh, you know, I think it's it's sad because I think that was something quite exciting about Chelsea yeah. uh, producing their own talent yeah Um. If we take Arsenal and Man City as a package for a moment in a strange way, but that um, title race of last year uh, kind of pairs them up in Havertz and then presumably Rice gets done and then I think in Manchester Kovacic uh, has arrived. Are they um, pretty pleased with their summers? I'm sure more can happen obviously in the interim, but uh, Arsenal and City on on, on where they... um, left off last season Gundogan's absence uh, jumps to mind obviously for uh, City maybe start with Arsenal Havertz Declan Rice what does this do to Arsenal for you Jonathan I mean you know, they've. I think they've pinpointed where they needed reinforcement um, I think Havertz is, is interesting because I, it looks like they're going to play him in midfield which is where we saw him at Leverkusen where he didn't really ever get a chance at Chelsea um, but you know he, he, he can play as a as a false nine, if you need him to, um, so it's useful cover in in that regard. But I I I I'd like to see him in midfield again now. Him and Odegaard together, maybe 
maybe we don't see that against the very best side. Maybe that is too attacking. But it, it's it's good to have that option against teams where you, you sit deep against where you need to break them down. And it's it's good that if Odegaard is injured or if he is tired, and I think he looked tired towards the end of the season, I think his form fell off quite badly that last couple of months of the season. The, there shouldn't be quite the pressure on him if, if Havertz is there. Rice, um, you assume he would sit deep in midfield, but he, I think he could play in 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 the Jacques role rather than the party role. Um, how do you how do you think, that, think that that fits his skill set? That's an interesting development in his personal career. If he is if he's suddenly spending a lot of time in that final third. Yeah, I mean, you know, last season we got what four goals for West Ham, which yeah. doesn't sound a lot, but in the context of West Ham, it's 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 not too bad. Uh, I think he talked about trying to get forward more, get more goals. Uh, he got a couple of goals in the Conference League as well. Um, so that was something he was trying to add to his game. And I, I think City's interest, assuming it was genuine, it wasn't just sort of some some weird shenanigans to sort of drive the price up. Um, I think they saw him as, as taking the Gundogan role alongside Rodri, so he would have been uh, you know, more aggressive there. So whether... I mean, a party. I guess you can play alongside him, um, but you would assume that their their first choice will be him. Have to not a good, again, depend on opponents. So yeah, I think in midfield the, the signings have been been sensible, and we also saw last season that as soon as Saliba got injured, they were short at the backs. So bring in Timber yeah. seems to make sense. That's where they needed cover. I think they've got cover in all the right areas. And all transfers are risks, but these three seem seem pretty sensible signings. Yeah, so you, you, you're not unrealistic to say, you know what, come April next season, they'll be in a conversation again. Last season wasn't just a kind of got off to a nice start momentum and, and other sides weren't as strong. Um, I think I think that definitely is true. Yeah. I think they, they did get off to a good start and they did, they did have momentum from that and they, they got a belief that, that I, don't, I don't think anybody had for them uh, certainly outside the club, and also a lot of the other teams fell away pretty badly. So I, I, th- I think there'll definitely be a bigger challenge. They obviously have have the Champions League this season. They didn't have any European football last season, so there's a whole series of of um, greater challenges this season. Um, so I don't think they're guaranteed to finish second by any means. Yeah. Guaranteed to finish top four. I don't think they have to play particularly badly not to take top four. Yes, but I think I think the squad looks better now than they did at this stage a year ago. Mm. And on City, Kovacic in and Gundogan out after the most, I mean, effortless treble that any of us are likely to have seen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not particularly exciting, I guess. And I'm not sure Kovacic gives you exactly what Gundogan gave you. You know, Kovacic's goals output is is pretty poor. Um, but he is very good on the ball. Um, I think his tactical understanding of the game is very good. So I, I, you know, I think that was sort of almost a stopgap that they saw Gundogan was going. And it's, okay, we can sign him. Bernardo Silva, assuming he stays again, <laughs> he seems to be desperate to leave City. I've been allowed to. Um, but you know, unless that hostage situation is somehow ended um, in the next couple of months, he he can play in midfield as well. So yeah. I think getting covered to China was get a body in and then if another player you know, high enough quality becomes available they, they can go for him. And I think that's why the yeah, I think the the rice interest was uh they probably were just sort of angling a bit, just seeing what the situation was, so what they could get, and then once it hit a certain price they thought, no, no, we've we're fine, we'll we'll we'll, we'll cope with Kovacic and and see what else might might become available. It's going to be so interesting to see what the hunger and desire levels are 
next year with City because again it, it, it's it's an imperfect parallel because it's so long ago now and the, the nature of the achievement was so different we united in 99 there was such a sense of Everest has been scaled we have done it my god and I know they won Premier Leagues uh, subsequently quite easily and, and were dominant but they were a couple of years away from going again in a very serious way in Europe and there were jokes that you know Dwight York said if I never win anything again it's fine you know we've done it whereas it's not that vibe at City there's not that sense of wow okay what next it's almost like what next in a pretty boring way what is the next game we'll just go and win that one too like, they kind of look poised to just pick up exactly where they left off are you anticipating a Man City hangover Jack Grealish aside <laughs> um, well I, I think I think the difference to United in 99 is that City just much better than everybody yeah. else whereas United yeah. w- were slightly better than everybody else but the, the sort of emotional effort of that season yes. was so great the way they played that I think, and you know, even then, you know, the the, the quarterfinal against Real Madrid in 2000, yeah, they drew nil nil at the Bernabeu, come back to Old Trafford, and I know they lost three two, and I know that you know, the, the sort of the, the the sort of the immediate reaction to that defeat was, ah, oh, they've been they've been found out by cleverer opponents. But you look at that game again, and, and Real Madrid score with three of the four shots they have. One of them is not even on target. It hits Roy Keane and goes in. Uh, Karanka handles the ball on the line in the first half it should have been a penalty in a red card and it's neither mm. United are really really unlucky to lose that game so yeah, they, 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 yeah it wouldn't have taken much to be different for them to, to go on and, and yeah, win it again yeah. um, but I, I think the, the I think the comparison that maybe maybe more apt is Barcelona in, in 11-12 that um, your tiers in 11 they, they played absolutely brilliant football They'd been way better than anybody else in Europe. Um, they win the second Champions League. Um, yeah, they, they they win La Liga again, and then they come up against Mourinho's Real Madrid, and and somehow the attrition of that battle of Real Madrid the previous season seemed to catch up with them. Maybe the knowledge that was going to be Guardiola's last season, which I don't think there's any necessarily any reason to believe this will be Guardiola's last season. Um, may, maybe that affected them. So. Yeah, I think City now are in the position that the Barcelona were in, in 2011 of being obviously the best side in the world, and you sort of, you sort of think, well, how how can anybody challenge them? But no Gundogan, maybe a little bit of a hangover. Um, you know what, what happens if Rodri gets injured, for instance? They don't have an obvious replacement for Rodri. Um, so it's what what if what if Holland gets injured? You know, th- these are things that could happen. Sure, they start as obvious favourites. Um, but you know they 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 could be they could be challenged in the same way Barcelona were in eleven twelve. Yeah, it'd be interesting uh, for anyone looking for it. We talked to Andy Mitten uh, last week in depth about Manchester United, so that is waiting for you. And uh, not much has changed in the meantime. Uh, last word on Liverpool: this very uh, strange conundrum last season, where uh, we kept thinking surely they'll they'll kick into gear, and it never quite happened. Will they kick into gear over this summer? Do we think, or is there something more serious at play, Jonathan? I think it's really difficult to tell. Um, I mean, in terms of what they've done in the transfer market, I think they've addressed the right area of the squad. Um, I think the midfield was the area last season where they were clearly lacking. The forward line, they, they'd begun the, the, the process of refreshing that. Um, and they then had a load of injuries which really hampered that. But that, that's gone on. They now have you know, five high-quality players for three positions. The midfield now, by bringing McAllister and Sobersly, a 24-year-old and a 22-year-old, 
they've reduced the age profile of that over the side quite dramatically. They've got Bajicic, who's, what, 18, 19. They've got Curtis Jones, who just had a great under-21 tournament, uh, Euros for England. Uh, they've got Harvey Elliott. Henderson's still there. Uh, Thiago's still there, although I'm not sure he necessarily will be by the start of the season. Maybe only has one season left, even if he does stay. Yeah. And Fabinho's still there, who maybe last season was an off-season, or maybe the decline is terminal. We don't know. I think it's interesting they haven't moved for a right-back. Um, it's not even clear who would take over at right back were Alexander Arnold injured, given that Milner's now gone. Um, so I think I think he's not going to move into midfield for Liverpool. He, he may continue that hybrid role. They possibly could do with another centre back. That's another area where you, you slightly worry for them. But but fundamentally, they've got to get the press right again. They've got to get the, the hunger and the snap right again. That wasn't right even from that first game against Fulham. Uh, and and if you play like club teams play, as soon as the, the press is off slightly, all these other problems become apparent. Uh, even Van Dijk, who'd been absolutely imperious for three or four years, yeah. suddenly looked, looked vulnerable last season. And that might be because he's 31, uh, or it might be because the press wasn't protecting him. And we'll find out with this mm. rejig midfield whether whether it can easily be put, be put right. And then, of course, you have this, you know, when, when results start to go wrong, you suddenly start looking at other things at the club. Klopp became very, very tetchy. Uh, you realise that loads of the backroom staff had left over the previous couple of years. And you yeah. sort of think, well, is that significant? Is, is that evidence of Klopp being very difficult to work with? Is it just natural that the coaches move on every few years? Uh, and the truth is, from outside the club, it's it's almost impossible to know what's, what's happening there. Mm. And all the rumours about, oh, did, was Darwin Nunez, was he a Klopp signing that the transfer committee didn't really want again? It's very, very hard for us from the outside to know that. But, yeah, they, they they have, I think, bought players in the right positions. They've answered the right questions. Uh, and I, I think, although the fixtures got, you know, they had a, an easy run in in terms of fixtures and that, that perhaps lay, lies behind the way they finished the season strongly. But that at least is something to build from mm. for the start of this season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. They started off in such ignominious fashion uh, against Fulham first day of the season last year so we'll all read too much I suspect into the first day this year I don't have time and I wouldn't expect you to go through every team so let's not do that one um, question which is a sort of of interest to an Irish audience in a way you mightn't expect I suppose is the English under 21s and Lee Carsley's stock because Stephen Kenny here as Ireland manager is under a fair degree of pressure now and there's a sense that if the next international window goes badly for him that that may be that and Carsley's name is mentioned, former Republic of Ireland international, uh, has recently won a um, major tournament with the English under-21s and is, is, is very highly regarded. Uh, one of my favourite tweets of all time came from one of my colleagues where he said that uh, Big Sam would never again talk to somebody wearing a GoPro on their head. And had he not done that, then maybe Gareth Southgate wouldn't have got the job and, you know... Uh, I, I presume the same applies to Carsley, like uh, just by dint of his playing career. He, how likely is he to walk into a top level job? Or do you think the English FA, for instance, will look at the relative success they had with a company man in Southgate migrating upwards and think, do you know what? If he keeps doing it at an underage level, maybe, you know, we know how good he is and it'd be a tough sell to the public, but we might just be brave enough to do it because Southgate worked out so well. I appreciate Southgate played for England, so it's. It's a bit different. I'm kind of stretching there. What, your, your sense of Carsley? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to tell because the other 21 tournament got almost no coverage here I noticed, until the yeah. final. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure why that was. I mean, uh, to be honest, I, I I sort of was only vaguely where it was going on and suddenly saw, hang on, England have won the first two group games and they look like going through. Oh, hang on, they've put Germany out. And, you know, it, it was it was only, we didn't even, the, the games went on TV here until the final. I think the fact it was in Georgia meant that a lot of journalists sort of, I mean, you know, this has been a, the last season was, I mean, Nobody wants to hear about journalists moaning, but <laughs> everybody was knackered at the end of last season with a World yeah. Cup in the middle of it coming after the COVID seasons. So I, I think, you know, a more normal season, maybe more people would have gone out to Georgia. But the fact it's Georgia, the fact it's, you know, if it had been in in the Netherlands or Belgium, you know, somewhere that's easy to get to where you could just pop in for the game and come back, maybe would have got more coverage. Um, I, I mean, England has a habit of not particularly taking youth level football seriously until uh, six years ago when they suddenly won the under-20 World Cup and then the under-17 under World Cup and the 17 Euros, whichever mm. it was, whichever yeah. under-17 tournament they won. Um, and now we sort of, oh, actually, maybe we are quite good at this. Maybe this is sort of a big thing. So, I, I, I mean, that's the way of dodging your question. I've got very little sense of Carlson as a coach, but he has just won a tournament without conceding a goal. Um, what I saw of them, they looked pretty impressive. Uh, I liked the fact that he was going into games without a centre-forward, playing a 4-4-2 with Madueke and, and Anthony Gordon uh, or Morgan Gibbs-White. Uh, so there's that sort of fluency up front. That seemed an interesting modern way of playing, which maybe is not what you expect if you remember Carlsley as a player. Yeah. Um, I, I, I th- Southgate, we know will stay on until at least the Euros. It's certainly not impossible he takes England to the next World Cup. Things could go- look very different by... 2026. What what is clear at the moment, though, is that there is no obvious English candidate in the Premier League who everybody would be like, yes, he's the man who's got to replace Southgate. Maybe Eddie Howe, but at the minute, why would Eddie Howe leave Newcastle? And in the absence of candidates, maybe you do go have after the success of Southgate. Although Southgate, you know, is not merely played over many times for England and was part of Euro '96. But he, you know, he also had had his four years at Middlesbrough, which, yes. although it ended in relegation, had been pretty good before that. And he had been very impressive, which Carsley's never had that club experience. Um, so I, I, my suspicion would be that Carsley would either have to have another sort of much more hyped up success at youth level or take a club job. And I, I don't know why championship clubs wouldn't look at him now, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe even... Yeah, come come October, November, if 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 a team's sort of struggling against relegation in the Premier League, and they think, oh, you know, Carthy's available, he's probably not expensive, and you know we've seen what he can do. Maybe he's somebody they take a punt on. But I think until he has that other success, yeah, it's pretty hard to see him in in the senior England job. But that was that was also true of Southgate in 2016. Um, I think it's pretty unlikely Southgate's going to get caught drinking pints of wine. Um, <laughs> talking ill-advisedly to Telegraph journalists. But in the case that does happen, yes. Charlesley is an obvious <laughs> candidate to step in in the short term, as Southgate did. Well, we can only hope. Whatever they do in his absence, we, I mean, that, that sting would be good fun for uh, everybody. Um, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Jonathan Wilson, great to have you on as always. Thank you. Cheers. See you.